Welcome to episode two of the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I'm Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver. Have you ever considered taking the back roads? And I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, your navigator. And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapy associate, your mechanic. Which leaves you, the listener, in the driver's seat. Put on some tunes and let's roll. Today's quote is from Shasta Nelson. Good relationships don't just happen. They take time, patience, and two people who truly want to be together. Today, we're going to start the long and winding road of spouse or significant other relationships. Don, last time we talked about this as the main choice relationship. Tell us some more about that. So our, our significant other, our spouse, is often romantically considered the person we're going to spend the rest of our life with. In a lot of ways, it's one of the most important choices we make in our life. Think about it. You stay with your parents about 18 years, and then you launch off into the world. And then you come back. <laughs> and then some of you come back for just a little while, a year or two, and then you get launched off again nicely. Your spouse, though, the intent is, is that you may be married 40, 50, 60 years. The longest-running, strongest relationship you have in your life. At least romantically, that's what a lot of people believe. And a lot of the folks that I know have long marriages like that. I, I am uh, very happy to have been in a marriage for 36 years, almost 37. This year we'll make 37. And I anticipate that we'll make it over a half a century. That's a powerful, long, deep, wonderful relationship. And that's what our intent is. That doesn't happen for everyone. Sometimes our spouse is taken away from us early through illness or through uh, war. Sometimes we lose our spouse through differences that we are unable to resolve and we go through divorce. The intent, though, is to have this primary relationship be lifelong. So that makes it a very, very important choice in your life. As you said, possibly the most important choice you make. How do you choose the right partner. The first thing to do is go slow. This is an important choice. Don't jump the gun. It's going to sound super traditional, and I don't mean it that way, but a lot of folks go for the hookup. And then if the hookup goes okay, they try and sort out whether or not they're going to stay with the person. And I suggest go slower. Really discover who the person is. What are their values? Do you have shared activities that you enjoy? And in order to know those two things about the other person, you first have to know that about yourself. What are your values? How do you want to live your life? What are you imagining for your future? What are the activities you like to do? The more you know that about yourself, the easier it will be to assess who you want to spend the rest of your life with. I still haven't found who I want to spend the rest of my life with, so... I can't say that I know that, but I do know that about myself. So I've spent many, many years choosing myself over and over again uh, and, and building that relationship with myself. So eventually when I do find somebody, I will be able to bring forth this sense of self and find someone who compliments it. I think a fallacy in the language is that your partner is your other half. I don't think that's true. You're a whole on your own, and you are simply looking for a complementary whole, not the other half of you. You know, you actually remind me of um, what Cahil Gibran wrote about in the book The Prophet when he writes on marriage. 
I don't have that right at my fingertips, but uh, if you take a look at our website, uh, I'll post this particular passage from uh, the prophet. I have it on my bookshelf in my office, and I bet it's from the one you read at Ben's wedding. It is. It is indeed. It's one of my favorites. We'll link it in the show notes. Okay, so that that's some great guidance on how to look for and hopefully choose the right partner. There's one more point about choosing. People can say lots of stuff. So if you share, here are my values, and the other person echoes back, yes, I value those things too, that's great. But then check behavior. How does the person behave? Mm. Are they in alignment with the words that they use? Are they reliable? You know, do they say what they're going to do and do what they say? Are they credible? Do they bring information to the table that is real and knowable? Or do they correct themselves when they find that it's wrong? That's a really good point. And that makes me think about, I think that's very, very hard for a lot of people. Even if they have some of this stuff already lined up, they they know their own values. They know what activities they like. Like you said, they're willing to take things a little bit slow, but the person that they are exploring a relationship with is saying these things that align with what they want and behaving differently. I feel like it's very hard for a lot of people to recognize, hey, this person's behavior doesn't line up with what they're saying. People would rather just believe what the person is saying. And you can get strung along for a long time. You can make the wrong choice. I mean, do you have any advice for people who are struggling to distinguish the difference between what somebody's saying and their actual behavior? So 300% correct on that one. It is really hard to have someone telling you over and over again this certain set of words that you are believing and then engaging in either completely opposite or different behavior than what those words say. Mm -hmm. That's right. As far as yourself and responding to that, it is a personal responsibility. It takes time to actually analyze that and choose to want to change your interaction with it. It's hard for me to think of an example at this moment. I have one. Okay. Papa's got it. So someone says, I, I share your um, value of generosity and kindness. And with me, they are indeed generous and kind. We go to a restaurant and they treat the waiter miserably and don't tip at all. That's a behavior. And it is not generous or kind. And it's not generous or kind. So what does that say to me? It could say, not necessarily because it's just one example, but it could say you are acting towards me right now differently than your base behavior is. Trust the behavior. Behavior is truth. What's interesting here, though, is you've... These are two behaviors. The behavior towards you in this relationship is kind and generous, as you said. The behavior towards a different person, the server, is not kind and generous. So this is not actually looking at a discrepancy between what they're saying to you and how they're acting. It's actually looking at them displaying two disparate behaviors. Mm -hmm. So that's even more complicated because it's not. It's almost simpler if they say, yes, I share your value of kindness and generosity, and then they're mean to you because you're like, that's not kind or generous, but this is them showing that value, actually behaving it, but then also not behaving it. Yes. So the easiest example of this type of thing is with domestic violence. 
so when one partner is saying, I love you and I care for you, and then battering the other partner, which is not a loving or caring behavior, that's really a huge disconnect. And for people who are in those types of relationships, sometimes it's really hard to let go of those words of the I love you and I care for you because sometimes they do show that. Sometimes they do love you and do care for you. But then these other times, which are either really frequent or infrequent, depending on what's happening in this relationship. But so we're talking though about that, yes, we all agree it's hard to figure this out when somebody is doing this. What are what are some ways to help someone figure it out? Like, are there any good tips, tricks, something? And I don't, I mean, the domestic violence one is a very, very serious example of this. The The server at the restaurant is a little bit less uh, intense, but what are some ways, I mean, even as much as noticing that difference between how the person treats you versus how they treat the server at the restaurant it's difficult. We agree. What are some ways that people can overcome that difficulty? Talk to a third party, you know, whether it's therapy, a friend, a family member, talking to a third party about what you're noticing in this person can help create that clarification for you. Uh, The more you talk about it and think through it and process it in your head, uh, the easier it becomes to really distinguish, is this something I want to keep in my life? And that's another important thing to think about with this is, is this something I want to continue? Is this something that I want to continue to have in my life? And if so, what are the pros and cons? But talking that out with another person, because sometimes when you're speaking out loud, it rings differently in your head. Uh, And then also having someone else who puts input for you and states things. So, I mean, even if you didn't really notice that your other person, this partner, um, is engaging negatively with a waiter or waitress, but positively with you, um, maybe someone came out to dinner with you guys and does notice that and then starts talking with you about it at a later date. And that third party really helps create data points on behavior to better understand. Sure. That's an excellent approach. Having that third party, other friends, that kind of stuff. If they will tell you the truth. I don't know how many folks I've had in my office who are going through a divorce who in the process of going through a divorce, they say their friends have all come up to them and said, I knew this wasn't a good match for you. I just didn't say anything. True. You also have to be willing to listen to that friend because it's very easy to become defensive, especially if you really like this person that you're vetting as your primary choice relationship. We hope that you like them. Mm-hmm. If, if your friend, if your close trusted friend comes to you and says, that person's kind of being a jerk, it's very easy to immediately become defensive. So that's a, it's, it's a tricky situation all the way around, huh? But it's still, I like the third party thing. I mean, that's a great actionable tip, you sure. know, and, and you should, I think have, would you, would you two agree that when you're trying to make this choice, when you're looking for your primary choice partner, your other choice relationships, your blood relationships, the kinds of relationships we talked about in the last episode, 
should give you some input on that. They don't necessarily have a say in it, but you should be exploring how the other people that you fill your life with react to this person. Yes, very much so. And one more thing. I mean, as Kim pointed out in our last episode, one of my core go-tos is personal responsibility. This is your choice. You are the one making this choice. You need to look for the data actively. And behavior is truth. How someone behaves is who they are. They can say anything, but you will see them, particularly when they behave with people they don't have to be on their best behavior with, like a server at a restaurant. That will show what their true values are. And they'll say, oh, that was an off day. I was upset. They'll give you every excuse in the book. Sorry, that was a behavioral point. Now, if you go to four restaurants and they only do this one time, maybe it was an off day. But if you go to four restaurants and this is consistent, they tip at 5% or nothing at all. And believe me, I've met people like that. 5% is almost an insult to your server. It's worse than getting zero. That's That's something to take and pay attention to and not think, oh, I can change this person. I'll help them be more generous, more kind. No, you won't. That is the biggest lie we think to ourselves is that we can change other people. Uh, We can only influence other people. You cannot change them. Change is based on themselves. Right. And the only person you can change is you. Again, personal responsibility. If I don't like the outcomes, I need to change my behavior. So do the research. Yes. Conduct the experiments. And you got to do it more than once. Yes. You need to see repeated behavior or changes in behavior. And you need to be mindful. And that's important, too. If you bring it to someone's attention and they do start working on it, that they are striving to be kind and generous. That's a great sign. Yeah. And, and you see that. That's wonderful. Except the change. But they have to, the behavior has to align with their word. So th- we've talked a little bit about some of these in looking for a partner. But what are the main potholes we see in committed relationships? What kinds of things cause strife and difficulty, what do partners struggle with? There are definitely a lot of potholes in this road. And there are many that come into my office and I'm sure Don's office. Uh, Some of the ones that I've seen surround money, how to raise the kids, uh, maybe relationships with in-laws, the distribution of chores in a house. Uh, And more and more recently, I have seen the influence of technology on other relationships. Uh, So the influence of pornography, the influence of social media, and the ability to easily connect with others, and how easy it is to hide that. And the, the beginning of lack of trust in a relationship is kind of like a sinkhole. It's not even a pothole. That's a sinkhole. Uh, but we'll talk about sex and, well, we'll talk about sex now, sure, but the porn and uh, technology kind of development in relationships at a future future time. I'm sure our listeners will be anxiously awaiting that episode. Yes, they just want to hear how a father talks about sex in front of his kids. That's what they want. Extremely comfortably. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely two therapists in this room, so there's a uh, lot of conversations around sex. Don, do you want to add any thoughts to those challenges? 
Yes. So those challenges are, are named around particular major functions of a relationship. How do we share money? How do we share our kids and raise them in our values? Um, how do we manage the influence of two different families uh, on our lives? And how do we draw boundaries around that uh, so that we're raising our kids or living our life within our value set, our, our boundaries? That's the in-laws kind of thing. How do we negotiate with one another about uh, physical intimacy, which goes beyond just the sexual act? but more into physical caring of one another? And how do we just take care of stuff? All of those things come from being clear about your values, behaving in tune with those values, and being trustworthy, being reliable and credible, uh, easily approachable when things happen, accepting influence from your partner when things go wrong, or when things change. One of the things that happened um, frequently throughout raising you all in the house is when mama was teaching, she would go through the IEP period, the individual education plan. It was the hardest part of her world, coordinating all of those meetings, getting all of those reports together, managing all of that, sucked up huge amounts of her time. And I had to pick up the chores and you guys and all the rest of that seamlessly. Now, luckily it was only an eight week period, but that was a change. Um, and she had to announce, Hey, I'm going into this. I need you to do these things. And I had to accept that influence at, at least most of the time without resentment <laughs> and accomplish the things. Um, but that's, that's part of that flow. If I hadn't been approachable and she thought, ah, I got to keep doing all the chores that I've agreed to, even when my workload suddenly triples, um, it would have created challenges. It actually did create challenges in the relationship until we sorted them out. Um, just to be fair and honest, because she'll write in, I know she will. Well, I think it's important to mention too, having a challenge in a relationship doesn't mean the relationship is over and everything is bad. It just means that you need to talk about it and figure it out. A challenge, a difficulty, whatever you want to call it, a pothole, isn't the end of the world you're going to have them, especially with this relationship that we're talking about that's intended to last a lifetime. Yes. I mean, there's no way that you get through 70 years of marriage without ever arguing about something unless you're not actually in a relationship at all and you just pretend to be married. But these, these kinds of things, there are tools to navigate them and they're going to happen. And I think going into this relationship with the understanding that that will happen is an important part of knowing yourself and making that choice. Another thing that I kind of forgot to talk about was um, emotional regulation and how interpersonally and personally you regulate all of the emotions that you go through. And this is definitely an episode in the future of fair arguments and, you know, how to communicate through arguments and all of that stuff. But understanding how you experience your emotions. If when you are upset, you're a yeller and a crier and very emotionally explosive, that's, you know, great to know about yourself. If your partner is shut down and walk away when they're overwhelmed, when they're angry, etc., knowing that about them because it's not always obvious and 
if your partner shuts down and walks away and you follow with the argument, it's just going to make it worse. This is a cool thing to talk about, again, in terms of coming back to the first question, how do you choose the right partner? Having that first fight with that relationship. You know, let's say you've gotten past the first few dates. You're really interested in this person. Their values are aligning. You have a fight. It's going to suck. But that's your first bit of research into how this person reacts to this challenge, this pothole. Mm -hmm. And like Kim was saying, if they're the kind of person that shuts down and needs to walk away, that's also not the end of the world. That is an acceptable emotional reaction to an argument. And if you're the kind of person that blows up and gets in their face, this is going to be tough for you too. <laughs> you're going to have to realize how to, how to respect each other's reactions and come back to the argument and resolve the problem. And that's yes. a skill development. Right. And we'll actually talk about that skill. It's, it's called timeout. And we'll, we'll talk about how to use that and when to use that in a future. But you know, one of the interesting things the research shows, Dr. John Gottman did some great longitudinal research. And Sorry, he, what is longitudinal research? So that's research where we take the same couple and we sample behavior over time. Okay. Like, you know, like um, at year one, at year three, at year yep. five, that kind it's of thing. Long-term research. Got it. Right. And what he discovered is that uh, the group of people he called masters of relationship, people who said they were really happy in their relationship, had been married for a, a fair amount of time, that kind of thing, they only resolved one-third of the problems they faced. They had two-thirds of problems that just continued in the relationship, unresolvable but manageable. They learned how to live around those difficulties, those differences and how they relate. That's pretty amazing. So the challenges, as you point out, they're going to happen. And how you live with that and accept influence from your partner and accept small differences and accommodate, that's the important part about living in the world. Like what's a clean kitchen? Oh, we can tell that story. <laughs> At a later date, though. Um, so we're kind of already in this. We're kind of already answering it. But just to put it out there as an official question, how do we navigate these potholes? I mean, we've talked about a few techniques already. We talked about clear communication. I think we can talk some more about that. We've talked about knowing your partner, understanding how they react to a pothole. Using I first language, uh, which growing up, I was really bad at. Uh, so fun fact, this is not I hate you, even though that does start with an I. Uh, it's <laughs> typically more of an I feel, insert feeling word, about, insert behavior, and what I need is, insert your needs. This is a skill that I know through Dr. John Gottman. Uh, I'm certain other people have come up with similar This phrasing. is a very old skill. Yeah. Uh, Virginia Satir there we go. Uh, was one of the first folks who did this way back in the 60s. Yeah. She was one of the pioneers in marital therapy. Right. Um, so definitely not a new skill. Uh, what I've heard a lot from couples that I've taught this to is the fear of the word need because it seems, well, needy and no one wants to need a thing from their partner. But fundamentally, it's something that you need to experience in order for this relationship to work out in a balanced way. And I think it's one thing to be 
needy and constantly need things from your partner, which could be draining and negative. And another thing to need some things from this person who is your primary partner. So it is important to have clear communication. To have clear communication, it begins with you. Again, we talked about this in the last podcast. Personal responsibility there will be a go. recurring theme. It will be. It will be. It truly is. But you have to be clear about what you want. Take time. Stop. Think about what it is that you want out of whatever's happening in the relationship. Because if you can, if you can clearly state that, it makes a huge difference. And in my personal experience, you can't always clearly state that in the moment. Sometimes you have to stop and realize, I'm really angry. I don't know why I'm angry. Am I angry at you? Am I angry at myself? And I don't always have the answers to that right then. Sometimes I have to go think about it for an hour, a couple of days, a week. Ben's always angry at Toast, his dog. Toast is always angry at me. That too. Constant state of rage. Anyway, what you said is a great point. The, the timeout that we kind of mentioned a little bit earlier. The important part of a timeout is that you reconvene. So coming back to your partner. Uh, typically 20 minutes is a good cool down period for your body to go back to homeostasis. Uh, that's kind of just physiologically how long that takes for that to happen in your body. Uh, and sure, it might take you a couple of days to figure out what was happening in your brain, but reconvening with your partner and saying, hey, I'm still thinking about this. I'm not sure what triggered me, but I wanted to let you know, like, I am still wanting to communicate with you. I'm still X, Y, Z. Uh, but letting them know that you haven't finished processing what happened. It's that reconnect at the end of a timeout. Uh, and the other partner choosing to allow that timeout. Uh, I see a lot of people who call for timeout and then the partner follows them. Uh, and that's not a true timeout. That's not fair. And that takes personal responsibility and learning to change your behaviors. It takes a lot of trust, too. To trust that your partner will come back when they need to go away. And I mean, it takes trust the other way, but I think it's primarily for the partner who wants to engage, is ready to resolve this right now, and they're very amped up about it. And the other partner says, I need to take a minute. It takes a lot of trust. Don, you want to talk it, about It that? does. It absolutely takes trust. And the way that you build that trust is behavior. If over and over again, when you ask for a timeout, and we're going to get into this in a future, we haven't really described the timeout skill. And I'm sorry, listener, if you're going, what, what were the steps? How do we do this? We haven't done that yet. We really haven't done that yet. But it's the behavior. If, if you know, the next five times after you learn the skill and you actually implement it and the other person does come back, you'll begin to trust and that makes it easier to let go. But behavior, behavior is truth. So that means you have to look at your own behavior. How are you behaving when you have a fight, all the rest of that kind of stuff? We started out with this idea of how, how do we um, navigate the potholes in the relationship and choose the right person? And it all comes back down to being clear about who you are. Because if you're the clearer you are about who you are right now, uh, which will be different. Who I was when I met your all's mother. I mean, I was 20, I was 21. No. It was before the dawn of time. I was 21 when I got married. So <laughs> the I, dawn I of time. time. I was 22 and I got married. I was 20 when I met your all's mother. 
I was a very different person then than I am now, near 40 years later. But I knew who I was at that time to the degree that I could, and I could share that with her, and she could share that with me, and we've grown together. So part of that is being willing to grow and change and accept the differences in one another as we go along. I was thinking about growing together and what you said earlier about that a lot of successful couples in the Gottman study don't resolve two-thirds of their arguments, which in my head, I kind of pictured the way a tree grows around an object that's in its way, where you kind of just learn to work around it. Do you feel like that's true in your relationship? I mean, you have this long marriage to look at. And I mean, I don't know, that's an odd statistic, two-thirds. Do you think there are two-thirds of challenges, potholes, arguments that you've had that you have not resolved? Yeah. And they they actually come into categories about how we solve problems. So part of what I do for a living is I see a, a wide array of scattered data, see the connecting thread through it, come up with an answer and drive toward the answer. I do that for a living. I do that when I consult with businesses, when I consult with individuals on their things, when I coach others. That is a natural uh, ability of mine that I have honed with lots of additional skill. My wife is an excellent teacher, and the way she approaches the world is the way a teacher approaches the world. She looks at how any behavior breaks down into all of its individual steps and then sequences the steps in the right order. So when she solves a problem, she needs to go gather all of the data, put it all in a row until it falls out to an answer. That takes time, time I'm usually not willing to give. And early in our relationship, it created lots of fights. We need to buy a washing machine and a dryer. This is one of our first big purchases together after we got married. Um, I'm like, okay, it's this one. I'm ready to go buy it. We're going to go to Sears. Here it is. It was a thing. She's like, no, how do you know whether or not this is the right? And she went and researched all of them and tried to drag me through the research. What a miserable set of fights that was over and over again until we recognized it's not that I'm right or she's right. Each of us has a different process and requiring the other to go through my, requiring her to go through my process is hurtful to her and unnecessary, as is the other way. So we came up, this was not about the washer and dryer, which we got forced through. I just did it. Um, not the best way to solve a problem, by the way. The car purchase you guys did recently. Yeah. So now fast forward you know, 37 years. Yes. Um, but typically what happens is we have to buy something. I'll make a decision. I'll write it down, put it in an envelope, sign the back of the envelope that's sealed and hand it to her. She puts it in her file, file folder, gathers all of her information, goes through her process, comes up with her top three. We sit down, she opens the envelope. And if it matches one of her top three, that's what we buy. If not, then we have a discussion about what the differences are. That's a way of working around. That's a fun game. Mm-hmm. I do it with mama and shoe choosing. So you do both get to do your processes, but you are not getting, I mean, I guess you're not personally spending any time doing the research, which is fine for you. Yes. You don't mind that the end decision still takes much longer than you would prefer it to happen. That's the compromise you've made as part of this workaround. Yes, because I love her more than I would love getting the thing sooner. Right. That makes sense. This actually brought up another thought in my head of navigating around the potholes of 
intimacy and spending time with each other or how you choose to love each other uh, because we experience love very differently. Uh, so the five love languages, cue Dr. Azevedo with the person who came up with that. Gary Chapman. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> is a pretty common reference for a lot of people. So the five love languages uh, described by Mr. Dr. Chapman. I don't know. I think he's Dr. Chapman. Okay. Uh, Sorry, our, Gary. <laughs> our physical touch, quality time, words of affirmation, acts of service, and gift giving. Look at me go. I can rattle these off from memory now. Uh, and we all experience love and give love differently across different people. And sometimes you may experience love one way and give love a different way. Uh, I can only ever speak from my perspective. I receive love through quality time and I give love with gifts. I love to make people stuff. And so if I'm in a relationship with somebody who doesn't understand that I need quality time uh, and instead is constantly telling me like, oh, you're beautiful. Oh, I appreciate you so much, etc." That does nothing for me, uh, which is a whole psychological evaluation of its own. But hey, you know, here we are with this. So understanding that maybe your partner isn't receiving love the way you're giving it, right? So your relationship starts to drift apart because it's not feeling satisfying to either one partner or the other. And coming together and recognizing, hey, you know, I'm throwing these out to you and you're not getting it. What can I do to, you know, change this behavior so you're receiving it? And choosing to want to make that change for your partner uh, is another key thing to navigating any of these potholes, is choosing to want to make change to support your partner's needs, right? You have to choose to make that change. That change is influenced by your partner, which goes back to that you can't change your partner, but you can influence them. Let's talk a little bit more about having that attitude and being willing to make changes of your own to meet your partner in the middle, to accommodate their love languages, the kinds of things you were just talking about. What's some more about that? Like what kinds of attitudes do you need We'll put this as a link on our um, on our website. Uh, I wrote an essay about this some years back about five key attitudes that are helpful in approaching any relationship you have uh, in your life. The first one is willingness. You have to be willing to be in relationship with the other person. Uh, that means that you have to be willing to discover them and share about yourself. You have to create priority time. Relationships are built on time spent together. And if you don't spend that time together, you can't really know one another. Now, when you're spending time together, you also have to be careful about your behavior. And your behavior needs to have a positive intent. One of my key phrases for that is, don't let any words come out of your mouth that don't uplift your partner. If they're going to be hurtful in any way, even if you complain, do it in a helpful way. This is the effect your behavior is having on me. We'll teach those skills at a later date, too. Yes, we will. Uh, positive intent, though, in how you behave is really important. The flip side of that is goodwill. When your partner is behaving toward you, they're not always going to get it right. 
So meet them halfway with the idea that they're trying. And if they get it wrong, let them try again. You also will not get everything right. That's true. That's true. And Kim is very good about reminding me about how often I don't get it right. Dang right. (laughs) And the last part of that is grace. And this is grace not like, you know, Catholic Church grace. It's the idea of knowing I won't get it right, right, sometime in the world. And I will need the goodwill of whoever I'm in relationship with to accept me. So I need to give that back first. I need to be willing to be graceful with sometimes the awkwardness that happens in any relationship caused by the other person. But those five attitudes, if you have them in the back of your head when you're interacting with someone, you're much more likely to find a relationship that works for both of you. I also want to throw in there that, I and I mentioned this earlier, of it's not an other half. It's a complementary whole. And going into a relationship with a desire to keep them in your life, to to want to have their presence with you, not need them as the the fill-in for a gap in your life. Yeah. yeah. So you actually bring up a great point that kind of closes this loop. We talked at the beginning about how do you choose someone, and there are lots of different things to look at for that. But the reality is you need to choose this significant other, this spouse, every single day of your life. It's a brand new choice every day. It's not a one and done. Love is an action verb. There you go. Thanks, y'all. You're welcome. You're very welcome. Well, so we covered a lot in this episode. Uh, We talked about potholes in your main choice relationship, um, your partner or spouse, significant other. And we talked about some ways to maneuver around those potholes. We talked about some ways to drive straight on through those potholes. Um, And we talked about five key attitudes to bring to this committed relationship. Um, If you want to read some more about those attitudes, we will link to Don's essay in the show notes. Um, But we're still just getting started on this drive. Next week, we're going to look at four areas of intimacy that can keep a relationship fresh for a lifetime. And we'll be digging in deeper to that cryptic statement that behavior is truth. Thank you for listening to The Relationship Road Trip. You can find more episodes of this podcast at your favorite podcast source. If you have questions or topics you would like us to consider, email us at questions at afpsych.com. We look forward to hearing from you. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face until we meet again. Thank you.